What's up? Welcome back to the Bearable Project. Uh, this is a pretty cool episode, a little bit of a different tone than what we're used to. It's more of a presentation than anything. Um, but this is all about your bearable rules. Um, Andy Neville and Christy Wapnerarski, I think I said that right, Christy, um, came to us with some myths, some basic bearable rule stuff, some procedural stuff to answer some really good questions. Um, you know, weights, uh, dampeners, uh, the uh, serving leg, we kind of get into it all. Um, but it's, it, this is a very informative podcast that is really geared toward, you know, veterans may enjoy it. There was probably, there's definitely some nuggets in there that maybe they didn't realize. Um, but especially for the coaches and new shooters getting into the sport, this is going to kind of itemize the rules and kind of walk you through best practices of setting up your bare bow to be competition ready and, and why the equipment is the way it is and stuff like that. Texas Archery Advanced Bare bow Seminar uh, coming up next month. You got to get signed up. There's only about two weeks left to do that. So sign up for that one. We got one coming up um, out in Arizona as well. So listen, if you want to get an opportunity to get in on these seminars, there's probably, well, there are only two that include coaching and shooting, uh, doing a seminar at Virginia, uh, James Madison University at Indoor Nationals as well, but not the same. Um, so, hey, if you're going to shoot nationals there, we'll see you there. Um, but get signed up for these seminars. Um, they're probably the only two traveling ones that I'm going to do this year. And that's it. So check it out. Link in the details to this podcast to sign up. I think then um, anybody I can put a name to to promote our sport. The archer who owns all the world records, John Demmer III. You know, the more difficult a thing is, the more important the mental game becomes. I, I didn't eat any supper yet either. How about you either. guys? You guys eat yet? I didn't eat Oh, that. you know, uh, I have some crunch berries. Grayson oh. yeah. Parlow. It's like me taking three or four years off your eyes just because I weakened that prescription in the shooting eye. And don't put everything into my shot that I should, that I get a lot of drop on those heavy arrows. It's dropping all the way down. He said, well, you might want to think about going to a lighter arrow in the spring walking. And then that's what got that started. So. Um, this is episode 73 of the Barebow Project. Um, and this one has, I can't believe it's 73 episodes. By the end of the year, I could, I'll probably hit a hundred. Holy crap. That's a lot. That's crazy. <laughs> um, anyway, so this is a little bit of a different podcast. Typically, you know, we're doing interviews and talking to people and we're talking about shooting form or, you know, how tuning this, that, whatever. This time, we have two very special guests, probably the first time a USA Archery judge has ever been on a podcast. I don't know. Andy, maybe you've been on one before. I don't know. I think, Christy, I've seen you on some like symposium stuff and seen you guys do that, but never like an official podcast. So, so welcome. If you two don't mind, would you introduce yourselves? Just give a little bit of background so we can, we can kind of just jump into it. And, uh, Andy, we're going to let Christy go first. Go ahead, Christy. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so my name is Christy Wapniarski. I have whew, been involved with USA Archery judging for probably eight 
nine years now. Oh, wow. um, I sit as a level three national judge with USA Archery and then a continental judge for World Archery Americas, um, which I've been for about three years. And then also represent the Western region of the judges in the country for USA Archery on the Officials and Rules Advisory Council. All right, very good. Mr. Neville, go ahead. Yes, hello, um, Andy Neville. I sit on the ORC for the Eastern region. I'm a World Archery International Judge candidate, uh, World Archery Americas, and a level three USA judge. Um, been judging for about 11 years now. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, your two faces that we see often, Andy, I see yours actually all the time because you, we're both East Coast. Uh, I see you indoor nationals typically in Virginia. Um, occasionally, I see you at Lancaster. Christy, we've probably seen each other before at, I would say, nationals, maybe target nationals. Were you there this year? Yeah, so I don't, uh, I don't judge as much um, uh -huh. at that. I do more event management scoring Gaia. stuff now so yeah Gaia. so but anyways for for those of you who who watch and or listen to this podcast these two people you will very likely come across at some point in time um this podcast is strictly um designated to barebone knowledge as it pertains to judging and equipment so there's going to be, for, for those of you who are just breaking into Barabow or looking to break into Barabow, don't understand the rules. If you are watching this um, live, you can interact and ask questions, but we're going to kind of go through some, I know um, these two wonderful people did a, a Mythbusters sort of version for the symposium. We're going to break into that a little bit. We're going to talk equipment. We're going to talk actual just rules. Um, we're going to talk barebow weights and the ring, I'm sure, um, and a few other things. So um, I guess, Chris, you're actually going to share your, your screen and you have a kind of a slide you're going to run off of, right? Yes. Perfect. All right. Uh, so first of all, I just wanted to say thank you for inviting us. I know that um, we've tried, you know, making this happen over the past year for different reasons with, you know, my involvement with the Arizona Cup and, and judging. And so we were grateful for uh, USA Archery to uh, give us their um, blessing to come on and, and talk with people and try to just get more connected with the membership and those that are competing and those that are just getting started and stuff so that we can share the knowledge that we have. So thank you for that. Um, oh, I got a couple pictures missing there. Uh, <laughs> so Andy and I were just gonna kind of start, just kind of go over some, you know, just basic barebow uh, equipment information. This is gonna obviously for, for those that are um, more intermediate advanced level archers, this is not going to be any new information for them necessarily, but just for those that are kind of getting involved or, or just started, you know, just kind of wanted to touch on some of the things that judges are looking for uh, when we do equipment inspection. Um, Barebow is our easiest, ultimately easiest equipment to look at. There's the least amount to look at, but we want to, you know, pay attention to the few things that are problematic usually in the barebow uh, equipment area. So, 
here we just have some examples of things on the left you know we have the um the it, it considered a training aid but the subconscious training device or a tactile audible device that uh, we found on grips um, with equipment sometimes people have tape over their grip and they'll have that underneath it so as judges we're looking for that to make sure that's not in place it is not allowed during competition it is a training aid only um, also, we have the angular mounting bracket here in the next picture over uh, that is not allowed if it is a manufacturer angular attachment, then it, that's already built into the riser that's one thing but anything aftermarket angular brackets not allowed for attaching weights and dampeners. Um, on the right in between there were supposed to be strings i'm sorry i don't know what happened to the pictures <laughs> so no there was a couple examples of strings and kind of what we're looking for on strings I, I think some of the most obvious things are um that were you know there's no lip nose mark there's no um anything that's going to give uh aiming advantage or placement of fingers no little strings no markings on the strings that kind of stuff there's uh, two knocking points are, are allowed on the serving. The serving length itself is something we look at. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. it's not something we can identify during equipment inspection. So that's something mm -hmm. we look at during your official practice ends. Usually we're looking for that. And then of course, just the weights and the attachments of weights. Um, we find Verbo archers to be extremely creative, which is fun and also challenging. So, you know, we like to, to take a, you know, rules change this year. So now weights can be above or below the grip where before they were restricted to below. Um, sometimes archers will have their own carved risers, carved, you know, attachments and stuff to their risers. All of that is, is permitted as long as it doesn't, you know, come into the site window area and um, add any kind of aiming for the archer. And then, of course, the big thing is, you know, that it all has to fit through all the attachments that are permitted have to fit through that 12.2 centimeter ring uh, that's pictured down there below. Andy, did you want to add anything to the basics um, for equipment? Uh, nope, I think I think we're good because we're going to get into some specifics here in just uh, a second, but that's that's it on the basics and the one thing. Um, I would add for the um, the far left top where it is the um, indicator, um, the sub uh, subconscious uh, training. Um, don't uh, don't uh, be afraid when a judge um, is doing a bow inspection and we say, um, "Can you tell me what this is?" or "Why do you have this?" "What's the purpose of this?" you should be as an archer able to articulate those things to a judge because we're trying to understand mm. your equipment, not to fail you during um, equipment inspection, but mm. to, to make sure that you fall within the rules and that your equipment is okay. And the more we understand um, your equipment, then the better off uh, we are to make those judgment calls. Yeah, Andy, and just to kind of piggyback on that, I think people need to also understand that Barebow has had a ridiculous amount of growth, and it is not 
realistic for us to expect all judges to understand every aspect of Verbo in some regards. That's all really starting to come out in this like last year. More and more information, it's being looked at more, there's more interpretations, there's more equipment things being done. So, you know, you all don't necessarily know every aspect and it's literally a, a learning opportunity. So, you know, and I actually commend you guys for going out and, and, you know, basically verbalizing that, like, listen, we're going to ask questions. We want to, we want to know what these things are and what you're doing with them, because there's a good, probably a good chance that somebody else is going to ask it down the road. But, all right, yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. We, we asked that on recurve and compound also. I mean, the reality is, is that the responsibility lies on the archer to make sure that they are using compliant equipment. And so I won't hesitate to ask an archer just point blank, you know, are you using any kind of a training device on your equipment, you know, for recurves and compounds, they, they might have the mantis on there. They might have, you know, and they may not realize it's not allowed and that, you know, it's, and sometimes the placement of those can be challenging for us to see really easily during equipment inspection. So sure. I just come right out and ask the archer, do you have this? Do you have anything like this? And just put that on them because the responsibility is the archers ultimately to be using compliant equipment. Um, one other thing I wanted to note really quick for bare bows, which is really common. And I think when we get into higher level competitions, we see this even more. And that's the um, the taping of risers. Um, because of marks, blemishes, nicks, dings, like whatever. I mean, just having the equipment, existing with the equipment can cause some different blemishes and stuff on the riser and the sight window area. And so, you know, it's really common for judges to have like blue painter's tape or the electrical tape on hand and ask an archer to tape up their sight window so that it's just mm -hmm. a non-issue for competition. And you shouldn't, as an archer, um, have any uh, reservation or um, concern if a judge asks you to do that because we're just taking those marks or blemishes off the table so that there's no question about it just to ensure that fair playing field across those rules like Christy was saying. Um, I got a question for you guys. We have we get a lot of questions on the forums and in the groups, the Barebow group, the Barebow project group about the Versatune plate on a Hoyt. Um, have you come across that? Has that ever been brought up? Is there any kind of, anything that's been discussed about that plate? I'll, and I'll, and I'll, my go-to answer is always, listen, there's no difference in the Versatune plate and my black A free flight rest because that rest actually covers the plate and I can't see it anyway. Um, but, you know, I think it, that varies if you don't shoot that rest or a rest that wraps around the back, maybe that doesn't happen. Have you ever come across that? Has that ever been something that, that you've needed to address? I got this question during the Barebow webinar that I did last year with Sherry Rhodes, and um, it was one that I wasn't familiar with mm -hmm. it set up to be able to answer the question. And I went searching high and low after that webinar to see what I could come up with. And it, there wasn't a consensus, unfortunately, like there was no interpretation. There was no consensus among, you know, all the judges that I spoke with. Um, 
I got, you know, a handful of judges that were like, yeah, no, no, I, I remember that that one was okay. Um, mm -hmm. But I honestly didn't come up with anything definitive in writing that has addressed that particular piece. Completely okay. Uh, I think that's an appropriate answer. Um, and you don't have to, if, if it, if it was never, if it was never brought up before and there wasn't a necessity for an interpretation, then it's really not a big deal. Um, as long as everybody's on board and understands, you know, maybe something could happen, but in my opinion, from my barebow experience, it's a not, it's a, it's a non-issue, um, because of the location, we're not aiming with anything below the rest or below any, anything down there It's literally not feasible to do. Um, so, you know, I think it's, I think it's, um, it's good though. And I, I think your response is perfect to explain to people, unless it says very clearly, you know, no, this is not allowed or whatever, which it doesn't, um, you know, I think we can, we can just leave it at that. So good enough. Yeah. It's definitely not something I encounter, uh, either. So uh, for me, it's been a non-issue at events, but I'm, I'm sure other judges have encountered it. So sure. I, I didn't hear from anyone that it was like, nope, it's an issue and I don't allow it. That, that yeah. definitely didn't come back when I was searching for info. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Moving forward. Oh, look at that. Hey, strings. Hey, hey, I hey, didn't hey. realize they were set up like that. Sorry. So <laughs> that's good, that's good. <laughs> yeah, th this one, you know, this one we've used an example in a previous webinar where you can see the string on the right down below has this little yellow thread on there. And, and so, you know, judges should be in tune with that kind of stuff. We need to be looking closely at the strings at the serving area. We need to make sure that that kind of stuff isn't in place. I mean, there can be some really simple marks that are put on strings and serving and stuff for for bare bow and so we should be paying attention to that perfect and then these infamous pictures um <laughs> <laughs> so at, this is just addressing that serving uh situation this is something that you know is new all judges are doing it now consistently i think across the board during official practice ends we are watching archers when they shoot uh, at the distance that they're going to be shooting at. Cause of course that's important. We can't address serving, mm -mm. you know, just blindly. So, um, so we look and see where we think that, you know, that serving is ending and it's um, sometimes it takes us a couple of ends before we can really definitively say, yeah, that's a non-issue. Cause sometimes it can look really close or even an archer is a really fast shooter. And that can make it a little bit more challenging. In my opinion, I think when you're shooting that quickly, you're not using that to your advantage anyways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but we're always checking that now. And um, I think Andy, you had a piece to add to this when we we're checking this for archers that are wearing sunglasses. Yes, so at uh, NTC uh, this past season, um, I was working with um, some judges, um, excuse me, it was Buckeye, and um, they were looking at um, the archers and they had sunglasses on. And they said, well, it, you know, it looks like it could be. And so one of the things that um, I was, um, having a conversation at as it's important for us as judges to look at the archers, um, the eyes iris, you know, the black part of the eye where the light's coming through. So that way, if you look at where the iris is, 
then you have that um, point of vision that they're looking at and mm -hmm. sunglasses can block, right? And so you go around to the, the side um, where they can't really see you, but you're off to their peripheral vision and you can look through that little gap between the glasses and you know their, their eye socket. And then you can see that um, definitive mark where that is. And that helps you make that, um, that educated um, assessment for a decision as to how that um, is in or not in their line of sight. So um, that was just something to, sure. to throw in there. Yeah, and and I'll be I'll be honest with you from a um, from a shooter standpoint. For those of you that that maybe you know are like, oh, I never looked at my serving, or whatever. You know, you look at the. I'm not. Is that Jason Littner there? Is that who that is? Okay, yeah, yeah. Rich, we call him Richard Gear. Um, he's got <laughs> phenomenal hair, and obviously I have none. So talk about polar opposites here. Um, the other picture is is me, unfortunately or fortunately, I'm not sure which. So John Demmer makes, has made my strings for, for years. Um, and he has always made them very specifically for this reason. And you can see like clearly how high that is. Now I could probably crawl. And what that means is slide my fingers down my string to, for a really close distance and probably, and that, and that still won't line up, but you know, Jason, you could see how far down, look where my finger is to the lower, lower knock, look where his finger is to his lower knock. So people, when they're setting up equipment, if you really want to ensure that your serving is, is going to be above your eye, it also is affected on like how you set up your equipment. So if you're shooting a, a heavier arrow, lighter poundage, longer arrow as well it changes where you have to crawl to so this maybe isn't for you guys this is more for the listeners or the coaches out there or the people who are trying to set up equipment you you have to understand lighter shorter arrow longer bigger crawl bigger crawl means that that serving is going to be higher closer to your eye whereas i'm if i don't have a bigger uh, it's going to be closer to your eye where if I am only crawling down the bottom, that serving is going to stay right where it's supposed to be. Cause I'm just anchoring here. And I'm the only, the only difference from the arrow to the top of my finger versus like Jason, it's probably, that's almost two inches from his knock to the top of his finger. So um, that's just an equipment and tuning sort of aspect that I want people to understand, like pay attention to that stuff when you're setting up equipment and make sure that serving, if you're shooting 18 meters, which is typically we're going to see this. We're not going to see this for 50 meters. It's rare because our crawl isn't going to be quite as big. You know, pay attention to that when you're setting up your equipment, people. Um, so you know for sure that you're within the rules. All right. And well, it's best you. to have it much longer. So it takes all that out of the question, right? Yes. Yeah, agreed. Get yeah. I mean, and even like Jason's is black. If you, if you buy a string, say you order a factory string and it's close, it's not that difficult to serve it and make it longer. You're not going to see it. There's not going to use the same color, of course, but, and, and try to use the same size thread, but it, it really is not. You just, you could serve that string and make it longer on your own very easily, very easy to do. Um, but anyway, we've absolutely had archers have to do that. 
at competition. <laughs> so oh, that's okay. what ends yeah. up happening. If we see it and it is questionable in the, the plane of, you know, vision, then yeah, yeah. They, they have to add serving to it. So that's absolutely happened uh, at tournaments. And of course, you know, these are just pictures to use as an example in a, sure. in a slideshow, but um, obviously the angle in which this picture is taken is going to make a, a difference too. So of course, we're always looking in, in real time as the archer is actually shooting and trying to get at that correct, you know, level to make sure we're, we're looking at it appropriately. But um, and again, that's exactly why we have to do it while official practice is taking place because every distance is going to be different. So good. That's a great, great uh, indication. I like it. All right. Tabs, you want to run with this one, Andy? Sure. Um, so tabs, um, you cannot have it so that it's a uh, mechanism to hold the string at draw. And that would include um, thumb rings. Um, regardless of material. Um, when a judge is doing equipment inspections, typically you'll see them take the um, alternate end of a ballpoint pen, uh, not the ink end, but the um, housing of the pen, and we'll uh, use that or the uh, gauge to separate the folds um, in tabs, uh, just to make sure that there's nothing um, rigid in there or something that could take that pressure off in um, a tab. Um, we're looking for marks uh, up to two different lengths, um, typically by a manufacturer or um, a tape placed by an archer um, that are drawn directly on the tab. Uh, uniform spacing is not uh, required as you see in number one. Um, the stitching, however, as um, you will see on tabs, uh, the stitching uh, will need to be one single color, um, but you can have um, two different lengths uh, for the, the stitching marks. Um, also, you know, with normal wear and tear, stitching, if it's white, uh, uh, oils from your hand or just dirt from picking up arrows and pulling arrows. So we'll get, um, you know, slight discoloration of a white um, uh, stitching where, you know, that that's not something where it is different. So um, just normal uh, wear is not something unless it's giving an indication. Um, sear tabs or breakaway tabs um, are permitted. Uh, there was an interpretation by World Archery. Uh, finger separators, uh, anchor plates, um, they um, are okay. And uh, for the tape, um, there is no restrictions on the, the color that's used. Just to, just to clarify, sear tabs, you're referring to basically image number five, correct? Where that tab is modified by an archer so that they can more effectively use it as a sear to shoot. Yeah. Okay, I just yeah. want to make that clear Yep. Um, so that people understand what that, what that is. Yep. Good question. 
Yeah, just to kind of go over these examples that are here, um, as Andy indicated on one, that's just showing an archer using their own tape, having their own marks. They only have really one length there, so that's totally acceptable. And this is just showing that they don't have to be uniform in spacing. A lot of people confuse that, judges included. Um, when they say uniform in length, that's their meaning the actual lengths and that the two lengths have to be uniform. But the distance between all of those spaces on the tape, those don't have to be uniform. That, that would be yeah. considered okay. Um, two is just a basic, basic tab, two different uh, marks, lengths, completely fine. Three is actually showing a modification of four because four as it sits is not acceptable. It has a third mark uh, all the way across um, for by the word barebow. So what the archer did was take yellow no. tape and cover covered part of it, which made it so that it's only two different mark lengths. And so that number three is okay. Number four is not okay. I see. Um, I see. Yeah. And that's why we kind of identified the tape color too. No, no restrictions on tape color, yellow, white, whatever. Um, yep. Five, we identified that's the, the sear tab. Um, there's several different examples that are in the interpretation with world archery. And then mm -hmm. six is probably the most common tab that I see with barebow archers, which I am always grateful for because it is easy to just know that it's compliant. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate it every time they use it. <laughs> well, essentially the, the brass Yoast tab with the sear on it and the brass pro tab or the aluminum pro tab on the right five and six, they're essentially the exact same tab with exception of the fact that the, the way Eric developed the tab, the aluminum one by color, you can very clearly see there's two lines, same length. The brass one is actually, while I love my brass tab, they're actually tough to see those lines are actually tough to see um but i mean essentially shape and and everything's exactly the same anymore the way they're made now so yeah. um all right very good that's a that's that's going to answer a lot of a lot of questions and especially i think I, I i really foresee this this podcast and this information being um super helpful for newer shooters um yeah. you're going to answer so many questions good Good. And, you know, one other thing I wanted to add in here, this is something that for some reason I see at almost every tournament I work, not as much at a national level, but because, you know, we're kind of targeting beginners as well. Um, a lot of times recurve and barebow archers as they start, uh, they use those finger savers that are the little roller rubber things on the string that goes one above the knocking oh, point yeah, usually yeah, yeah. And, and the two below. Um, I see it at every tournament I work in Arizona and it, they're not permitted for competition and people don't know that. So, you know, when it's a beginner, it's a first time at the tournament, it's a state level tournament. I mean, we will usually educate, inform and say, moving forward, if you want to continue to compete, you need, it's time to move to a glove or a tab or, you know, something other than that. But beginners typically start with those in their clubs. It's easy, obviously, and it, you know, saves their fingers. They don't have to use a tab right away, but technically per world archery, uh, they're not permitted in competition. So, Gaia. very good. All right. So weights, um, weights 
opened up quite a bit this year, which was nice for judges, uh, made it a little bit easier for us when we're looking at equipment as far as the placement of weights and uh, the dampeners that can be used now. I mean, before we used to have to inspect an, a bow and look for that little plastic washer in between to make sure it wasn't attached with it, whatever, and we don't have to do that now. So um, obviously dampeners and weights in any combination can be placed now above and below the grip. The main restrictions are the angular bracket attachment part of it, um, the fact that it can't be in the sight window or aid in aiming in any way. And then of course it must fit through the 12.2 centimeter ring. Um, these are all just examples of some different creative weight systems and setups that we've seen. I think Andy got a picture today even from somebody that was had done a, a mod, well, they customized, made their own weight for their their setup and, and wanted to know if it was um, allowed. And based on what I could see in the picture, it was, but it was not at different angles. So it would be impossible to say without seeing it in person. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a lot easier now to to conform to the rules when it comes to weights, so. And it's always know. interesting inspecting bows when it comes to this, right? Because they are so creative in the designs and, um, you know, as you see in the middle picture, it, it, it's amazing the artistic value that they they put on these bows is to me it's amazing yeah and some of the really simple things you know like they oh, just are really yeah. resourceful taking like any weight at their gym or something you know kind of stuff I've seen some really interesting things and I'm like if it fits through the ring we're good <laughs> yeah and I think I just want to put an emphasis on it just needs to fit through the ring people just just <laughs> yes. want to put an emphasis it doesn't matter how you get it through the ring just needs to fit through the ring. It needs to be fastened to the bow. That's it. Um, well, we'll go ahead and tackle that while we're at it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, this is this has been addressed um, since 2019 with World Archery. There was an interpretation that was actually uh, published in 2019 about the ring fitting through, equipment fitting through it, and what we can do as judges to make it fit through. And um, in the bare bow seminars that we did with USA Archery, there was a couple of them, one at the end of last year, one at the beginning of this year, we addressed it in both of those as well. One of those was geared towards the membership, the other one was judging. Um, when it comes to this ring, there's only really one restriction that we have, and that is that dampeners can't be flexed to get it to fit through the ring. Um, but we can maneuver that ring however we need to, to get it up and down and wiggle inside and whatever it takes to get it over the equipment. Uh, as it was talked about before, it is not a cylinder. Um, it does not have to stay straight and in one position the entire way through. Um, there's a lot of movement and, and flexibility uh, ability there for us when we are doing it. And in this example, and this is I think Andy and I both kind of, um, when we're mentoring judges, kind of indicate that this is kind of a best practice most of the time, and that's for the judge to be holding the equipment and letting the archer put the ring through. And the reason we do that is, I mean, honestly, we don't want to be damaging anybody's equipment. And, you know, this gives archers the opportunity to go through and see how they can get that ring to fit over it and and there's nothing that says a judge has to be the one that does it. It just says the equipment has to get through the ring. So perfect. Andy, do you have anything you want to add to that? I think 
I think it would be a good idea for us to kind of address, um, you know, I, the situation that this kind of was presented from and, and kind of give, I think we want to empower archers, right? We want archers to be advocates for themselves. Uh, we also want anybody that is a judge that might be watching this to also know the best practice if we come into a situation like what happened with the archer that that their weight wouldn't fit through the, the ring because the ring wasn't being manipulated properly. Yeah, ab absolutely. Uh, the, the biggest thing that you can do as an archer is to prepare yourself when it comes to a tournament. And as uh, Christy and I, when we've done multiple seminars, one of the biggest uh, takeaways for an archer is book three, chapter 15, when it's uh, procedures, penalties, um, that if you, if you only read one thing in all the rules, it's that book three, chapter 15, and then your book three, chapter 11, where it talks about your equipment. Th those are the two things that empower you the, the most. And it's imperative for us as judges to stay uh, current with interpretations and rule changes. And believe me, rules um, get changed and put up and you don't even know it unless you're going out there and looking at it sometimes. Um, archers, it is imperative for you to know what your equipment is so that it um, meets the guidelines or rules that are current. And if you as an archer are at a tournament and um, you have equipped yourself with knowledge and understanding of the rules and you go up to get an equipment inspection and a judge asks you a question or they say, well, I'm sorry, but you can't use this. It is perfectly acceptable for the archer to say, well, can you show me um, why you believe that? Um, you know, what is it on the bow that, you know, you're seeing? Um, and open up that dialogue, okay, so that the two of you discuss it. If you feel that you are correct, um, ask to speak to the chairman of the judges. Uh, you know, if, if you're just at an impasse, ask to speak to the COJ. And at that point, they will come and provide that uh, support for understanding for the archer so that they now understand the intent of the rule or the intent of the interpretation or, or something like that. Um, again, with any, anything uh, with regards to um, equipment, uh, you're, you're allowed to um, file an appeal. If they say you can't use that, you can file an appeal. Um, um, you give verbal intent and um, then you have to submit it in writing to the COJ within 15 minutes. Um, typically it's in cases where it's for scoring or a circumstance that happens. So it would be 
at the rev, uh, rev, revelant end or round, uh, whichever comes first. But if it's something that is new and the COJ, if I haven't seen it and I'm the COJ, well, I'm going to pull my judges together, my team of judges who have a depth of understanding collectively, and we're going to look at it before we uh, make a final ruling for that equipment if it's not listed or addressed in the rule book. And what we're going to do is look at it with the intent of the rules, and we're going to make an informed decision. The biggest part in this is for judges when there is a disagreement between a judge and an archer, the COJ needs to be brought in to that situation um, at the earliest possible time because it's a way to um, diminish the time for uh, appeals. And that way the judge can get back to what they're doing with equipment inspections for everyone else, but that, um, that relationship, I'll call it, between judges and archers, you, you need to have that um, understanding that rules uh, change, which is why it's imperative to keep up on the rules, imperative to keep up on interpretations. And I absolutely love the Barebow Project uh, podcast that you do because you keep it on the forefront when things change or things get updated people ask questions right mm -hmm. an educated archer is a valuable tool when you're on the the field of play yeah mm -hmm. for sure for sure and and for coaches as well absolutely absolutely <laughs> and parents for that matter right? and parents yes oh gosh i should have said that first and definitely parents <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I, I cannot stress to archers that, you know, if you are in doubt about something that you're being told by a judge and, and you have, you know, the book there, you're looking at it, you're confused. This is not aligning with what you're telling me. Mm -hmm. Like there is a commission on, on most tournaments. It is very rare that there's only a single judge running an event. It's usually a pretty small event if that's happening. And mm -hmm. so it is, it's important that the archers feel comfortable to say, you know, I want to talk to the chair of the judges, or if you're questioning, you know, those judges should be working together as a unit, as a team to be figuring out the answers to things. Um, there's never room really for arrogance and judging. And so I think it's, you know, it, it, archers should absolutely ask questions, be respectful, but ask questions. You're absolutely allowed to. I feel like judging is a hundred percent a teaching like that's what judging is for me it is all about educating I is what I spend 95% of my time at a tournament doing is trying to help people understand why they can and can't do certain things right so. and I would just add um, to close that if if you are a judge and you're the only one at your local event and something happens mm. and you don't have a commission to reach out to well, you have a support mechanism at USA Archery. It's your ORC representatives. And you're more than welcome to reach out to all four that are um, on the panel or the committee um, 
or your rep, you know, if it's on a weekend, but one of us will get back to you. And it's usually pretty quick. We get questions all the time. You so, guys should make that available. Uh, Cause I don't even know if I ever realized that was available. You should put that out there either in the judges group or I can put that. Maybe there's a list somewhere or a web link that I can put it in with this podcast. Cause that's a, that is an awfully, um, that's a good tool to have. It's a very good tool to have. Yeah. I know for myself, I mean, there's obviously some people that have my cell phone and will text. I, I get a ton of messages through Facebook messenger. I mean, there's, that's a, definitely a way people communicate with me. Um, we're working right now with USA Archery to try to get our email addresses linked through the, the committee's page. Um, we try to put it out there as much as possible every time we do a webinar. Every single webinar we do, we always have our email addresses readily available and are happy to field questions that, that come up. But sometimes it's it's there's more of an immediate need. So that's where the instant messaging is usually more helpful. Um, so we want to just kind of go over some scoring stuff, like stuff that kind of takes place down at the bail. Uh, this doesn't it's not specific necessarily to bare boat it's just something that comes up often in competitions uh, for all disciplines and and that is just people understanding what their role is down there um, obviously newer archers you know they kind of just are going along with some of the more seasoned archers that are on the bale that's really common but it's I, I cannot stress enough how important it is that archers understand their responsibility when it comes to their scores um, some of the biggest issues that we see and the biggest heartaches that we see happen on the, the scoring end is archers just not paying attention. Um, you know, you have you have to have at least two archers on a bale for scoring. There's always paper. And at most of our tournaments now, we have the electronic component. But paper is the is the most important thing. Always, forever. It will take precedent over anything that's in a tablet. Uh, archers need to always make sure that whatever is being documented on that paper scorecard is what actually matches, you know, their arrows in the bale. And it is the responsibility of the archer that even if you're not the one calling the arrows, maybe you are at entering them into the tablet, whatever your role is that you're serving in, you have to make sure that you are paying attention to what arrows you shot, what their values are, and that that is what's being written down on a paper scorecard, because that is where we find the issues. Uh, whether it's malicious or not, or just accidental or whatever, you know, those are where the errors take place is on the paper. I have come across so many different scenarios and tournaments, many times with Joe Ad, of course, because they're learning. Right. Um, but I've had archers that didn't know that you actually had to write the letter X on the scorecard. They thought, well, it's worth 10 points. So you just write the 10, but they were putting the X's in the tablet. So they were good. Um, but unfortunately it's not when we come across that at the end of the, of the round, you know, we're changing all of the tablet to match whatever's on the scorecard. Cause that's the only thing that matters. Um, I've also had archers that they, they, for whatever reason, didn't get scores written on the scorecard, but they had them in the tablet and they were like, oh, the next couple ends, we'll just catch up. We'll write that. Yep. Can't do that. Like we just cannot be altering a paper scorecard after arrows have been withdrawn from the bail period, right. unless there is significant evidence that supports doing such a thing. And only a judge can do that. You know, archers can't do that. Um, I think that, you know, 
any mistakes that are made on a paper scorecard, uh, archers are able to make those corrections as long as, you know, the arrows are still in the bail and all the archers agree on the bail. Once the arrows have been pulled though, then there are no changes that can be made. And if there's any question about that, a judge should be brought in to the situation immediately. Um, some of, you know, when are you supposed to call a judge? Like, when is it important that, you know, judges get involved? Uh, the easiest thing is the arrow calls. Um, obviously, arrow calls are what we do the most of after equipment inspection in a competition. But one of the things I think is confusing for archers is that when they are at the bail and they have a need for an arrow call, they need to first have attempted to call the arrow. Um, there's a lot of archers that are just like, ah, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Let's just call a judge. And they raise their hand immediately yeah. when, when, and then when we walk up, we're like, did you call all the arrows? And was there a disagreement? And they're like, well, we don't, we don't know. We just want you to do it. We're like, nope, yeah, actually you like have to call the arrows first. And then if you disagree, we're happy to come in and help. A lot of times they don't even have disagreements. They just never even tried. Yeah, <laughs> so... well, and part of that is they don't want to step on toes. They don't want to be the one to tell so-and-so, hey, your arrow's not in. Um, and we come across all sorts of dynamics as competitors. You're going to shoot with all sorts of people. You're going to shoot with seasoned people that are going to want every arrow call. You're going to shoot with some seasoned people who are going to say, I don't care, whatever. It is what it is. You know, and then... You're going to shoot with people who have no idea what's going on. So it's very easy to say to this new shooter, you have a bale of four and one person says it's in. And then the next person says, well, it's a new shooter. And they look at it. They've never done this before. And you're like, well, what do you think? And they're just like, uh, you know, it just, and, and they don't, they try to avoid those situations. But in, in retrospect, the correct way is your whole bale needs to look at that arrow. Now, can you talk to like if there's three on a bail because that has happened and it's a little bit confusing on which way do you go you know what i mean you're not you're not you may if have there is any disagreement so that means if okay. if there is not all three of them in agreement then there's a disagreement and a judge should be brought in period Perfect. it's not a majority that it doesn't work that way so Perfect. if if okay. not everybody is on the same page then you bring a judge in um and and let us go ahead and call call the arrow. Um, I would say that uh, the bottom thing here, missing arrows, this probably actually is more related to bare bow because as we know in competitions, sure. you know, bare bows are hunting for arrows um, behind the bale a lot of the times. And, you know, we try to announce this at tournaments. We try to always have the DOS announcing this information that if you are unable to locate your arrow after you've gone looking for it on an end, you are to report that to the judge in your area. And there's still just a lot of archers that don't realize that, don't know that, don't remember it. Um, but they also, I don't think, really understand the consequences that come along with it as well. And so we just really wanted to stress because, you know, it happens, you miss and you're, you're, you know, sometimes you're in Arizona and you're shooting on little rock and it's easy to find arrows. Sometimes you're shooting in grass and it is hard to find, you know, those arrows. So if you're unable to, you know, you need to find the closest person in a red shirt, doesn't matter who, because we are all documenting uh, the arrows that go missing and let them know this is this is my knock color this is my fletching color and i'm missing an arrow behind bale 25 
um, we write that down in a book and we keep track of that information. Um, the reason why this is so important is because the second that arrow is found, if it isn't documented somewhere in the book, it becomes a miss for that archer during that scoring end in which it is found. And this happens a oh, lot. Wow. I don't know if yeah. I realized that. Yeah. So if we identify that there's an arrow behind the bale, we'll come up, we'll check with the archer. Well, we'll check with judges first, right? We check to make sure that was that arrow reported. And if all the judges are like, nope, I didn't have that reported. I didn't have that reported. Um, we'll go, obviously we can find the archer because that's what initials are for. And uh, we'll locate the archer. We ask the archer, did you miss? And, you know, they may have, but they may have, oh yeah, during practice ends. And this counts for practice ends even. If you miss arrows and can't find them during practice ends, you have to report it to the judge. If we find it during a scoring end, it becomes the seventh arrow shot during that end. Which so, takes away your highest, your highest value on that, on that end. Well, we take the lowest six that includes that miss that oh, is found. Gotcha. So yeah, it, it, and it, I mean, I just worked a tournament last weekend. I had it happen twice in the oh, tournament wow. and we were announcing nonstop. Hey, you have to report your arrows that are go missing. So this is a really common one. Happens a lot. It is not restricted to youth. <laughs> I've had adults that have done it as well. Um, but we just can't stress that one enough because it can really, you know, hit hard when all of a sudden you've got this miss. And, you know, I had an archer this last weekend that was like, well, I, but I didn't, I didn't shoot seven. I didn't shoot another one. I didn't miss. I didn't miss the bail. And I was like, well, where did the arrow come from then? You know, like it wasn't reported anywhere. It wasn't no. documented, but, but I didn't miss. Like she was just so confident. And I'm like, I, I'm sorry. We have evidence otherwise. Right. And that's, right. you know, what we have to go based off of. So. All right. You know, one, one thing, if I'm, I may just add, um, you know, Christy's talking about um, the paper being the, the priority, the, the actual scoring. And mm -hmm. I, I always try to share with the younger archers that don't just verify your scores that are on the scorecard, yeah. but when arrows uh, values are being written on the scorecard, check your opponent's scores also that they're being recorded factually because there, there are mistakes, right? And it's a lot better to get those mistakes corrected then and there versus us having um, an issue later on. So not only protecting your own scores, but you need to protect other people's scores in the regard that they are factual. So always pay attention to the scorecards, not only for your own, but for others as well. All right. Uh, well, we just have a few myths that we thought were um, good ones to cover uh, that come up often in competitions. Uh, I'll go ahead and let Andy start with the first one here. All right. So if a judge misses a piece of equipment during inspection, an archer is okay to use it during the competition. <laughs> so if the judge misses it, hey, it's, it's okay. Well, that's a myth. And it is the archer's responsibility to use equipment that complies with the rules. And any athlete found uh, using equipment that's 
contravening the world archery rules may, may have their scores disqualified. And just because a judge misses uh, equipment that's not allowed does not negate the requirement uh, for their equipment to be in compliance. Um, this one comes up for us quite a bit, especially if you're shooting in competitions that have elimination matches uh, and there's buys. As barebow archers, you are allowed to shoot up to three of the ends during a buy if you're assigned a target. And, um, you know, archers are supposed to only shoot three arrows during that buy, and they're only allowed to shoot three ends. So, um, the myth is that people believe that there's a penalty that goes along with that if you shoot more than three ends or if you shoot more than three arrows. Um, technically, it's a warning. And so the archer will be given a warning when the judge uh, notices that that's taking place. But we just want to remind people, as Andy said in chapter um, 15 of book three, uh, that's where it identifies consequences. And Although a warning is the only thing that is given, if it is something that happens repeatedly, there are additional consequences that can happen, of course. All right. Um, if you're not standing on the shooting line when the whistle starts your match during eliminations, you forfeit that match. And a forfeited match is a match in which one of the two athletes or um, a team is not present when the order of shooting is decided or in which one athlete or a team is not present at the start of the match. Um, so the athlete or team present when the order of shooting is decided or at the designated target at the start of the match is declared the winner of that match. And the intent behind that is that the archer is on the field of play with the intent to shoot. So when you step up to the line and let's say Frank and I are shooting against each other and I'm at uh, the waiting line and I'm you know, pulling my bow up from the, uh, the recurve stand and the whistle goes off to shoot. Well, if he's on the shooting line and I'm not on the shooting line, well, I have all intent to shoot. So that would not be a forfeited match because the archer is present with the intent to shoot. That's that's the intent. Okay. Yeah, that one comes up um, more than we would believe, like to believe mm -hmm. that, you know, an archer is around, uh, they can be seen, but they don't actually come up during the first end. Um, that's their choice. That's their prerogative. You know, when you're doing set point system, technically they, they can take a hit on the first end if they need to, for right. some reason, that's not a, not an automatic forfeit. Like a lot of people believe. Um, is there a penalty if an archer shoots on the field after it has been officially closed? Um, so obviously at some of our national competitions, we will have practice fields. Uh, some do, some don't. Um, there also is just the field, uh, could be closed at a halfway point, maybe in between qualification round and a team round or elimination round or something like that. Once a director of shooting has established that the field is closed, an archer may not shoot any arrows on that field, uh, not for practice, not for anything. 
And if they are found to be doing that, uh, the penalty is actually to lose their highest scoring arrow of the next end that they shoot once the competition begins. Um, if I arrive late to the competition, can I shoot makeup arrows? So an athlete arriving after shooting has started uh, shall forfeit the number of arrows already shot unless the chair of judges commission is satisfied that the athlete was delayed by circumstances beyond their control. Satisfied reason accepted by the COJ. Uh, you had a flat tire, there's heavy traffic on Interstate 95, um, you know, traffic is backed up, easily verified by the judge looking at the app for Waze or Google Maps and seeing, sure. you know, there's, there's a lot of things. Um, but you can only make up, up to 12 arrows. So yes, you can make arrows up if the COJ is satisfied that it was beyond um, your control. Um, and again, it's only up to 12 arrows. That's a that's a different one. It's not one that I've ever uh, I've ever heard come up before. Yeah, you know we have archers. I mean, I had one this this last tournament I worked. The archer came late. There was there was tons of road closures. We understood that. We actually delayed the start of the competition because of it. Mm -hmm. And when this archer showed up, they were like, "Well, can I go ahead and make up arrows because I was late?" And I said, "Well, what was the reason why you were late?" Well, because there was there was road closures. And I said but everybody here had those same road closures, right? So, so then I, but everybody else was there. This is the only person that, you know, was late past our already delayed start. And I said, did, did you get a late start this morning? Yeah, yeah, we, we left the house a little late, you know? And I'm like, okay, then nope, there will not be makeup arrows, yeah, you know, because right. that isn't one of those situations. So um, here I put together, I mean, we're going into indoor season, obviously, sure. and, and indoor we, get a little, we expand a little bit on the, on the bare bow and traditional and, you know, there's more divisions available in the indoor season. So I just put a couple of links here for um, your traditional target archery webpage that is on USA Archery, which also then directs you to where the equipment rules are for US traditional target archery um, org. So if some people find it difficult to navigate to that for some reason. It's not built into the World Archery Rulebook. These uh, equipment rules are not, they are separate. They are something that's been approved specifically for USA Archery events. So people that are gonna be competing in indoor nationals outside of just the bare bow category um, will wanna look at that and make sure that they're, they're compliant for equipment. And then uh, the judge resource page, if you just type into Google USA Archery judge resources, it comes up and down at the bottom of the page, there's probably eight or nine different webinars that we have done. They are geared towards membership. They are geared towards judges, um, but they are available to anybody for free to watch. And so we always recommend this. If you've got spare time and want to listen to us drone on about archery, <laughs> you absolutely can. <laughs> we, uh, we have done several of them. Andy and I do uh, the majority of them ourselves, and uh, we just cover everything. I mean, we've got indoor, we've got bare bow, we've got field, we've got collegiate. I mean, we kind of have tackled just about everything 
um, and we continue to add to them. So it's definitely a great resource to have. And then of course, there's just the World Archery uh, Sport Rulebook. So definitely recommend that archers read that occasionally. It's incredible to me how many archers have never read it, um, are shocked by it when they do read it <laughs> because they just didn't even know it existed. And there's also um, a judge guidebook, and that has a, a different aspect of rules in it. It's more procedural. It's more about this is how we handle things. This is why things are done. Mm. Um, last copy was 2018. They are working on a new uh, version. So hopefully that will be out this next year and it will update uh, to all of the current rules in the rule book. Outstanding. Um, I do have some questions, so we'll we'll get into that. We have some emails here for everyone. If you have questions you want to talk to uh, Christy or Andy directly, um, there's a few questions in the comments. Um, so I'm going to let you guys uh, sort of tackle them uh, the way you see fit. So I got one. Should the knocks on all on the arrows be the same color and fletchings as well? That's a great question. That one comes yeah. up more, more than you think too. Um, yes, the answer is yes. In the rules, it actually states that the arrows have to match and matching means that the fletching colors, the knot colors, all of that, that they all look the same. It also states that you have to have your initials or your name on your arrows. And, and we get some resistance sometimes from archers on that one, but it's actually stated in the rule book as well. Yeah. Um, what I think people get confused by sometimes, and this has happened at competitions uh, that we have judged at, and that is that if an archer shoots an arrow that has a different knock color, let's just say they had an extra arrow in their, in their quiver, it had an orange knock, everything else was green knocks, and they shot it during, you know, an elimination match, um, is there a penalty for that? And that the answer to that is no. Uh, an archer would not be penalized for that. They're, they would not be given a miss. They would not, you know, there, there is no penalty for it happening. Um, Andy can cover the reasons why this rule exists, because I think that is the most important part of archery rules is that we understand the intent behind the rules so that people can I, I mean, if you think about it, an orange knock versus a green knock is not giving somebody an unfair advantage. So it's not about advantage. That's not where this rule comes from. So Andy, do you want to cover the rule and, and yeah. why it exists? <laughs> yeah, it's it's not performance-based, right? Just like Christy said, the color of a knock or a color of a fletch is not going to give you an advantage. And if if blue knocks give an advantage, every single archer on the field would shoot with blue <laughs> knock, right? Yeah. So um, when it comes to our sport and it's televised and you, you see that um, Frank is shooting um, arrows that have blue fletch and blue knocks and they go to that camera on your bail and they see blue with blue and they see your arrows in the target and then they see me with green fletch and yellow knocks. Now they go to a camera shot where it's green knocks and yellow fletch let's say then it's very clear that they are they're different right so if you get an archer shooting all kinds of different colors then it becomes more confusing um, and it also is in the regards of when you're doing teams so you have you know each team member is shooting colored knocks 
so that you can more easily tell if the correct number of arrows were shot by the correct um, members of that team. But that's what was shared with me when I asked that question was, it's to facilitate for television and to assist with um, differences for um, acknowledging uh, team archery's arrows. Well, and let's be honest, from an archer standpoint, it just makes it easier for scoring purposes if Absolutely. all their arrows Absolutely. look the same and they can identify them among the you know 24 arrows that are sitting in the bale. So it, it, it serves a purpose, but it doesn't it doesn't come with a penalty. Um, absolutely as judges, we will, we will tell an archer that they cannot continue to shoot it. They, they can't, there is a rule, it states it, um, but they would not get an immediate penalty for that. They could get a penalty should they continue to do it if they were right. given warning. So Yeah. And for those of you who only, there's a lot of people that shoot just indoor archery or just shoot 3d, for example, um, outdoor target is where this really comes into play. When you have four people shooting six arrows a piece, and any of you have called arrows before, it's not necessarily fun. And if you are colorblind, like I am, you really rely heavily on the, the contrast and the knocks. When people have the same knocks or same knock colors, it can definitely be confusing. So no, it's, uh, it's, that's great information for sure. We have, a, we have a field question, a field archery question. <laughs> I shoot field and many times uh, the bales are in such an angle that you see the target like an oval instead of a circle or wrong distances for wrong targets. What do you do? Call the judge, call the team manager. What, what's the, what's the proper steps? So I'm trying to understand when they, when they see the bale, it looks like it's an oval. I'm, 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 I'm having, that's the way the question reads, Andy. So when the archer steps up to the stake and they look up, they see the bale as an oval instead of a circle. I, I guess alluding to that the angle of the bale is not appropriate for the shot. Okay. Um, so if you are on field and um, you're shooting, there will be a judge in your area monitoring those particular bales and you can ask a judge and that's what that judge is there for, is to address any concerns, safety issues, et cetera, that can come up and absolutely talk first to that judge. And then um, if the judge sees that there is an issue field related, uh, that the, um, the bail has um, canted, so then it could look more like an oval versus a circle or something like that, then the judge is gonna call the field crew to, to help get that taken care of. Absolutely, without hesitation, feel free to ask the nearby judge for clarity. Perfect. Yeah, yeah um, I don't think I've ever worked a field tournament that I didn't have someone question a distance hmm. along with the color peg and the, you know, in unmarked oh, wow. and stuff. I, it comes up quite frequently. <laughs> gotcha. Um, we have a weight inspection ring question. So for the inspection ring, can you angle the ring to make a piece of equipment fit? If so, is there a max angle limit, i.e. 45 degrees? 
There's zero limit on that. A judge can do whatever they need to in manipulating that ring to get it to fit over. And as a matter of fact, there's an even archer, an archer. Yes, an archer, archer can manipulate, the, manipulate ring, right? the ring however they see fit to get through over. A ring. judge or an archer can. Yeah. Right, but I mean, typically yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, the, it's the archer that's doing it. But Yeah, well, you do have judges that have the archers do it, but you'll have judges that will do it themselves too. Uh, and absolutely, an archer should know that that can be done so that mm -hmm. if a judge is unwilling to, they can, you know, no, 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 it needs to go like this to get it to go around or or whatever. Right. Um. But yeah, it can be... It can be moved and there's a tolerance there's a, a half a millimeter plus or minus tolerance on that ring as well so that's something that you know archers should know and, and I, I would just add to that um if you try a, a bow ring and it's not going through but your bow ring at home it went through um the judges can grab a, a fellow judge's bow ring and maybe yours is out of tolerance and uh, they grab another bow ring and it, it, it goes through. So that plus or minus a half millimeter is, is the tolerance of the bow ring. And that could be the difference of it passing or not, as well as what you just mentioned, the angle. It's the judge trying to help um, get that ring over a piece. Hey, if you, if you move it like this, um, just like Christy said, the, the judge can try to do it. and assist that archer because we we want that archer to be able to shoot and uh, send arrows downrange. we'll do we'll do what we can within the rules for that to happen sure yeah very good uh that's I, that's great that's great feedback all right we have another one here um can the barebow weight near the bottom riser pocket have a smaller metal washer weight attached to help extend the barebow weight slightly. For instance, this would allow the archer to look to lower their poundage without the barebow weight getting in the way. I see. I have read the World Archery Rules, but I am still unclear. So this archer is, has a weight on the um, stabilizer, what would be probably like a, um, you would, usually we don't put them on the bottom for Olympic recurve. You'll see them on the top where you'll put weight or an extension, a V-bar extension, something like that. They're putting their barebow weight on the, the stabilizer attachment that's right next to the limb pocket. You put that weight on, they're putting a washer beneath it to create space so that they can take the limb bolt pocket out to lower the poundage on the bow. They're asking if that that washer that's creating space is an issue. <laughs> and silence. Has <laughs> so I'm going to go out on a limb and say, no, it's not an issue because there's no, it's, it's, um, it's just an, it's almost acts as just another weight in my opinion. And you can stack weights. Yeah, you can do any combination of weights and dampeners now. I, I would say that that absolutely would have been restricted last year, uh, for sure. Um, well, before the rule change, yeah. Right, before the rule change, which I think went into effect January 1st. Um, yeah. And it's not a movable, it's a, it's a rigid washer. It's not foam or rubber or mm -hmm. just like I, I don't know off. that. I'm just right. reading what the oh. person put. But right, to but me, I'm, I'm it doesn't saying, sound like it. Yeah, but I'm saying if it was a, a non-compressible 
washer, I see no problem at all. Yeah, I think that really the only restriction that is identified in the in the rule book is, um, you know, it, there there can't be anything that's a stabilizer, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. And and that doesn't sound to me like that would create a stabilizer. So yeah, I I don't think so. Um, yeah, but again, and now and, and to the person um, that posted that we're just kind of giving feedback you because that's a bit of a new situation not saying that you're not going to come across a judge who may see it and maybe sees it for what it actually is because we're just interpreting words and says um no maybe that's not quite right so in that case we've talked about it plenty of times you have now a plan to go forward if you don't if you are not in agreement with that let's just put it that way so and it's much um, easier for a judge to make an equipment decision when they're actually looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's what, I mean, feel free to use our emails right there. Send us pictures of what you're talking about. We're happy to circulate that among the ORC and, and get a more definitive sure. answer. Get some too. feedback and maybe, mm -hmm. you know, that would be, that would be good. Uh, we got one more in multiple distance rounds. Do we have to use the same arrow configuration? Example, using two inch veins for 70 meters and using four inch veins for 50 meters. Nope, there's no restrictions around that. Okay. You know, the only thing that we ask, cause you know, we have archers that come up all the time with their quivers full of arrows and they can have different arrows in there. Um, the only thing that is required is that they are shooting the same arrows for that end. Those arrows have to match for that end. That's the only restriction. Right. So if they change arrows to go to a different distance. Totally it, fine. It's totally fine as long as they look the same. They're they they're the same arrow fletching configuration, color configuration, but they're allowed to be different from the distance they shot before. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, and this was actually covered in an interpretation by World Archery. I think the uh, uh, German Federation reached out with that question. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Well, I mean, I'll tell you, you guys got up over 20 viewers. Listen to us talk about a bunch of rules. So that's pretty good. We got people throwing in questions. So, I mean, and, and again, and um, I'll tell you now, there's multiple people who commented who are not, um, I think they're from other countries, barebow shooters from other countries. So, I, I mean, we're reaching very far um, with the podcast. We have been. But this is going to help people across the world. So I think it's, it's super important. I'm glad we did it. And, you know, who's to say that as, as interpretations come, rules come, procedures come, things change. There's no reason we can't, we can't open this up again to give our wonderful judges a little bit of a spotlight so that they can spotlight for us the things that we should and shouldn't be doing in, in not so many words, but um christy i'm going to add those links if you could maybe just copy and paste those to me i'm going to add those links to this podcast to the information um for the podcast on youtube and, and everywhere else so that's so when these when this stuff comes up online we can simply send a link to the podcast to people and say hey we talked about it here it was discussed here right from the horse's mouth go check it out and then all that information is kind of in one location so Sounds good. Um, do you guys have anything else? I don't, I think we covered what we talked about for sure. Then some. Yeah, no, I, I think it was good. I mean, it was definitely a, 
a starting point. We can always get more in depth and we are always happy if you guys have questions that you want to field questions in advance and, and let us do like a Q and a session, we love doing those as well. So, yeah, we can, we can, uh, we can do that. Well, let's let this go and let this one soak in. I think this one's going to get circulated quite a bit and we'll, we'll, we'll look as things will come up. I'm sure things will come up. <laughs> they always do year <laughs> after year. And, and we'll talk and we'll, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll open up the dialogue. That's, that's, that's what we want to do. So well, we, we thank you for the opportunity to do this. We really do. Because as judges, this actually makes our job much easier having educated archers come to an event. And we don't want to ruin an archer's day. You know, they've practiced hard. They've, you know, put forth the effort. And now they show up with something um, where there's an equipment issue. Um, now, after this, hopefully the archers are gonna come away uh, better prepared and have uh, more foundational education of where those resources are yeah. so that if a circumstance happens, now they feel equipped to be able to have that extra conversation with a judge yeah. and that that just makes it better for everybody right yeah i couldn't agree archers. more yeah i think this just again uh, talking about opening up the dialogue bringing a podcast an opportunity for them to hear right from two judges i'm one as well but i'm not nearly as versed as the two of you are in all aspects of 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 archery in general but to be able to bring this to all of these people and it, it, you know, you're going in with a level of confidence of understanding, what do I need to do or how do I handle this situation? So yeah, it's good stuff. Outstanding. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for joining the Barabo Project. I'm sure at some point I'll have you guys back. Um, everyone who watched this understand uh, the live feed's going to end. It's going to be removed, edited, uploaded with all kinds of other stuff. So you can watch it on YouTube and everywhere else. Um, and that goes for you too as well. So we can share it for all your platforms. Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks for Thanks. Uh, watching the Variable Project. See ya. Bye. You will never succeed more than you fail. That's not how it works. You know why? Because failure is a wonderful teacher. It's the only way to learn. You have to fail. Failure is a part of the process to becoming successful. I tell people this all the time. Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player in the world, he took 946 game-winning shots. He has missed over 700 times, but he has made 146. You know what they write about? When he make it. They write about when you make it. So guess what? When you get through failing, 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 all you got to do is make one. Shit, who you know that gets it right all the time? That's impossible. You have to fail. Matter of fact, when you fail, be glad about it. Every time you fail, you're one step closer.